That's right, folks. It's another episode of Sonic Talk. It's episode number 398, just two or 400, which is a big number, no matter which way you look at it. We did have a week off last week because, frankly, I wasn't feeling too hot. I've had... Uh, had a tail end of a cold and I'm still struggling struggling a bit, so apologies if I make any fluffs or boo-boos or technical issues. I'm unlikely to be able to cope with them. It might take a little longer. But having said that, we do have a show this week. We have a full show and a full some chat room as well. I'd like to say, look at that. We've got... Wow, that's 123 people. That's a pretty good number for us live, uh, seeing as the time of day that we are. What are you people doing? Haven't you got anything better to do, like work? <laughs> anyway, but thank you for joining us. We do appreciate it every time. I also want to say thank you to our show sponsors. Of course, Isotope are the show sponsors, and this week uh, we will be announcing the winner of the competition we ran two weeks ago because there was no competition last week. And also um, there will be a chance to win Iris 2, which uh, I'm sure some of you will still be excited about because it's been... Uh, They've been you know, giving them away like crazy on the show, so we thank them very much for their sponsorship. Anyway, this week uh, we are joined by Mr. Mark Doty from the Bob Moon Foundation Automatic Gainsay. Um, Hello, how are you, Mark? Are you well? My God, look at what you've got uh, in the background there. You've got you've brought your credentials to your backdrop. ARP twenty six hundred. Mini mode. And what's the mic? That looks like a C twelve, but it's probably not, is it? Oh, it's a. Uh... I, I'm so bad with mics. I don't even. It's a uh, it's a groove tube. Ah. Uh, GT55. Okay, excellent. Okay, you've passed the first test. This is Mark's first week. Uh, I'm going to introduce you the rest of the guests, and then we're going to come back to Mark and uh, discuss, you know, what's going on in his life because we haven't had it. He's the first time on the show, and it's uh, great to have him. We're also going to flip over to Mr. Rich Hilton, who uh, is. Uh, been on the road in the UK with uh, Nile Rogers and Sheik. Uh, in fact, Nile, you've been like a media hall the last couple of weeks. Everybody goes, "Oh, did you see Rich? Oh, did you see Rich on?" <laughs> did you? Oh, Matt, Rich, I think you might be on the wrong mic. You might need to just fix that. So I'll just go oh. and say hi to uh, Dave Spears, who's over there in his synth cave at G4 Software HQ in a bunker underground somewhere. Well, it's not. He's got a window. He's he's gone yeah, up in the world. Way. He's gone up a floor, <laughs> up two floors even possibly. Dave Spears, of course. Um, the synth master of uh, G4 Software. How are you, Mark? Uh, Mark, Dave. See, I told you I was going to blow it this week. I already. <laughs> it's just going to be like this for the whole show. How are you, Dave? Anyway, you well? That's fair enough. Yeah, yeah, I'm good. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Glad to hear it. And uh, you had a holiday and everything, so uh, you should be. Not really it. a holiday. Ah. I had a weekend break, but I went to see a gig and flew German wings. That's quite. That was. Wow. Yeah. That's quite exciting. That yeah. That's like British gallows humour as you're queuing to go on the plane. Yeah, I can imagine. Really Crikey. Of course, that's so, a yes. terrible tragedy. But um, anyway, I'm glad you made it there and back. I'm sure they... Do they put a little bit of extra extra into the meal and stuff? Because I imagine, you know, they probably mm-hmm. want to make people feel more comfortable and, you know, what have you, given the... I've got to say, as, an, as a... Because it's supposed to be a budget airline, isn't it? I believe so. Um, it, the, like, the leg room was amazing. Everything about it was amazing. Excellent. The fact that I was the only person on the flight. More <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. There you go. Very good. Well, we should probably uh, be careful exactly where we go with that humour, but you know, I'm glad you enjoyed it anyway. Ah, I heard I heard a fruity tone from Mr. Rich Hilton over there in Connecticut. <laughs> there. Again, I say I beg your pardon. I'm sorry. I'm delirious. <laughs> How are you, Rich? Rich, so you've been you've been over in the UK doing a ton of stuff with Sheik. You're on Jonathan Ross, which I missed. I can't believe it, and I. Saw Saw there was something else which I was going. Oh look, where's the where I was trying to see where Rich was. It was um, 
Man, I can't even remember. My my brain is addled. There was a whole bunch of stuff, a whole bunch of stuff. So yeah. you were really kind of going for it because that's to promote the new, the new music act from Chic, right? That's oh, right. I, I know what it was. It was the voice. It was Ricky, somebody or other. Ricky for, uh, brought some some people to your gig and showed you uh, and showed you what uh, showed them these kind of noobs in the industry what uh, how to do it. And I think you were obviously involved in that. Uh-huh. Excellent. And that's primetime Saturday night TV in the UK. You know, it really is. Yeah, I got it. I understood. Yeah, I heard. It's big. It's big time UK TV. It was fun. So um, you got the album out and single out. How's that all going? Single's out. The album's right. not out. Uh, single's doing very, very well, apparently, in the UK, which is where one might hope it would do well after all of that effort they put in. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, it is. It's doing great. And we've been performing it, and it's fun to, it's fun to do. And I actually... Uh, have a new role in this song in which I am uh, actually triggering samples because God bless him, Roland built trick, uh, sample triggering into the bottom octave of this keyboard uh, off a USB drive. And there are certain aspects of the record, like spoken voices, that have to be pretty much what they, you know, me doing it or you doing it wouldn't be the same as the one from the record. Gotcha. And so there's a couple of things that, and a few synth swoops that just... There's no other reason in the entire show to support synth rigs in this gig. Um, so a couple of noisy synth swoops up and down in various tempos uh, occur also from that octave. So I'm now in the synth triggering business as well as the singing. Ah, cool. So what's, um, what's the single called again? Give it a plug. Available on iTunes? Uh, the single is called I'll Be There. Excellent. And indeed you are. And here you are. Yeah, <laughs> I, I was just curious, actually. Um, how do you find, because um, I've worked with band, you know, bands where there are you know, really uh, able keyboard players who part of what they have to do is to trigger stuff in time. Uh, and I don't, you know, generally speaking, in previous sheet gigs, you've just been on keys duty. Do you find it kind of, is it trickier or is it because you're, you're having to think differently if you're triggering phrases than playing actual notes, right? I'm triggering... Uh, whole samples. Right. I'm not actually. All I have to do is get the note on in the right rhythm, and I'm cool. You know, <laughs> kind of thing. So, uh, I mean, having to map a non-musical event across an octave and two keys in my mind and remember where they are came pretty quickly because I mapped them the way I thought they made sense. So, right. it, there is some degree of logic, at least to me, which is the only person to whom it needs to be logical. That's true. So, uh, it worked. Excellent. You know, I got it down pretty quickly and uh, tweaking the locations of where they should appear by, you know, mere 16th notes and shit. And it's all fine. It's good. Excellent. It was fun. Good. Well, I'm glad to hear that, Rich. And, of course, we have over there in Bristol, Mr. Gaz Williams, who's uh, who's small. Ah, le he's less beardy this week than perhaps in previous weeks. How are you, Gaz? <laughs> I, I, yeah, I'm really good. And, you know, I'm excited that Mark's on the show. And I was thinking about this because... Uh, his automatic gain say uh, YouTube um, channel is so phenomenal. But I was thinking there was something slightly, mm, kind of slightly uh, okay. enticing about his videos. And I was thinking, what is it? And I started to realize his deep love of the, of the things that he's displaying. It's almost like, like listening into someone describing a lover and all the things that sort of get the lover going. And it's a little bit naughty to listen to it, you know, but it's really fascinating all the same. 
it's almost as if you know <laughs> this is the stuff that you have to find out for yourself and you're being divulged these little secrets and you know to be honest this is you know 99 percent of the things i'm not going to be able to get my hands on <laughs> were <laughs> but uh it's such a brilliant such a brilliant series of videos i just wanted to say yeah big thanks and cool uh, yeah Cool. Keep them up. <laughs> Excellent. Well, Mark, that's, you, that's, that's that, awesome. that sounds like technorotica, if there is actually a genre. <laughs> I think there should be one now. I think we have maybe created one. Maybe I dare you to put technorotica in your keyword tags in the next video. Just I will be checking just to see. I'll do it. I'll, I'll bet your it. traffic will increase. <laughs> <laughs> so, Mark, um, as we have you here, I mean, obviously, one of the big things that you are involved in is the Bob Moog Foundation. And that's something, you know, that's your kind of day job now, right? Which must be really awesome and cool. So just give us a little bit of a, a kind of uh, brief outline of what it is that involves. Uh, well, it's hard to call it a day job, although technically that is what it is, because, I mean, it's it's like the most perfect position for me because it's all the things I would be doing if I wasn't at work, which is, uh, it's, it's kind of impossible, uh, to actually be working there, but I, I feel very fortunate and I'm lucky. But, um, what we do is we promote and preserve the legacy of Bob Moog. Obviously all of you guys, uh, have a pretty good grasp on the impact of Bob's work. Um, but uh, when he died, uh, the foundation was formed and we decided to, because so many people had been so moved by his work and inspired and not just like, oh, because I like synthesizers, but because uh, he was an inventor that took his ideas and put them forward and they became inspirations to people who weren't even musicians. And that's a really powerful thing that should keep going. So basically what we do is we take uh, Bob's legacy and pre preserve his history and then bring it into the now by doing things such as uh, we have our hallmark uh, curriculum, Dr. Bob's Sound School, which we are trying to spread across America, teaches second graders uh, the science of sound. Uh, which is a blast, and it's it's being very well reviewed. Uh, we just recently sort of seeded it into Los Angeles, which is pretty exciting. Because well, as a city until, in, to in total, wow, amazing. Yes. Uh, we've primarily been in North Carolina, but uh, it's being taught to over a 1,000 students in North Carolina currently, and it's our intention to spread it across the nation because uh, using Bob's legacy to help kids learn about sound is something that Bob would have totally been into, uh, being as that he was an educator himself. Um, also, we have a substantial archive of historically fascinating uh, items related to Bob and his influence on others. And uh, we are, just recently we uh, released um, some scans of the schematics. Ah, yes, I remember seeing that, yeah. And uh, people are really excited about it. And it is exciting. And they are the physical pieces of this history that has, you know, inspired and influenced so many people. And to actually, I mean, for me, to actually hold a schematic that was hand-drawn by Bob for, like, the 904A filter, it's like, this is, you know, this is my, my foundation, my, my origin right here. I'm holding it. Bob's pencil touched this paper as he was, you know, drawing this. It's amazing. It's an amazing and inspiring thing that, you know, 
Awesome. It's kind of like the uh, notion of uh, you know seeing an original musical score, isn't it? Which is kind of handwritten in that, in that kind of sense, I suppose. Definitely, definitely. And there are, there are always these moments where as I'm going through them, I'm making connections with them. Like uh, one of the schematics, like, it, like in this recent, recent schematic release, I put it together that this was involved in the John Cage performance Variations 5 in 1965. And to be able to make these connections between these items, it's kind of like archaeology for me. And right. it's, it's incredibly exciting and apparently inspiring to others as well. Excellent. So your role there, I mean, am I right in thinking you're kind of involved in the archive and uh, the archives and keeping that and kind of cataloging that side of things? Is that, is that a fair description? Um, my title is archive and education specialist. So, uh, and it's, it's pretty much a title that is true, but I also do a lot of other things as well. Uh, video and graphic design and a whole bunch of things, but primarily uh, my work is uh, associated with the education. I was one of the co-authors of the curriculum. I have a degree in education, and obviously I do have a little bit of experience uh, teaching people about stuff. <laughs> um, but uh, also, the, I am currently the head person in regard to the archives as right. well. Awesome. Awesome stuff. So um, what's the kind of... Um, do you Do you get to kind of enjoy some of the older technology as well or is it all of the kind of really cool stuff locked away and kind of carefully preserved rather than you know i mean i would understand why that would be if that was the case but do you get to play with it i suppose is what i'm asking (laughs) well don't tell my boss this but like i always come up with reasons why we need to take stuff uh out of the archives and have it around like right now sitting next to my um desk is uh, an Aries uh, modular, an Aries 300. And we took that out primarily because I'm like, oh, you know, we haven't tested that Aries yet, and we should really get a grasp of whether it's working and how, what needs to be done. Nice. But really, I was like, let's get that Aries out of the archives and put it next to my desk. <laughs> but, uh, uh, so it is sitting there, and it does need work, but I'm really excited uh, about what we're going to do with it once we get it serviced and operating. It ties into some of the other parts of our archives. Like we have two R2600s in the archives and um, Dennis Collin, oh, which uh, some people may be familiar with, uh, worked on both the R2600 and the Ares 300 system. And these things are all really important to us. I mean, because while we are focused on Bob Moog, it's not all about Bob Moog. It's about what Bob Bob's work influenced in other people. So, you know, all of these historical connections we can make are are beneficial to our work. Oh, excellent. And it sounds, yeah, like, I, it sounds like one of the things you also have to do is kind of come up with ways to interconnect these things and turn them into public-facing projects and stuff, which must be a great lot of fun as well, right? It really is. It really is. Uh, I mean... It's, it's weird to be in a situation where it's my job to tell people about synthesis as well as my hobby and uh it's it's important that i tell people about these synthesizers that i'm just dying to play and i do get to play them and for a long time the apollo the moog apollo one of maybe two in existence uh was sitting next to my desk and i was playing that you know during breaks and but uh yeah it's it's a really 
kind of impossible thing. Sometimes I pinch myself because it's like, well, if you could invent a job for yourself, what would it be? Well, it'd be associated with Bob Moog, and I get to teach everyone about music and science, and I get to play with all these really great synthesizers including Moog modulars all the time. And then, you know, I get to, like, learn about the history. And that's right. basically what has that's happened. That's what it is. Excellent. That sounds like fun. Uh, Dave, in, in many ways, it's kind of quite similar. You know, you, you have a, a similar work environment, perhaps. You know, I'm looking, I'm obviously, you've, you've definitely trumped Mark on the workplace where he is now, but I'm suspecting the warehouse is probably can out-synth you, pretty much. But it sounds like great fun. I mean, it's not, not dissimilar to what you're doing in many ways. No, both Mark and I. Um, I can't say too much, but Mark's been amazing on a project that I've been working on, and we've communicated a lot, actually, over the last six months, I guess. And we've kind of, I guess, got to a point where it's like out trying to out-nerd each other. But I lose. I do. I, I, I think I probably lose on every count. In fact, I don't join in with a lot of Mark's Facebook conversations because they do out-nerd me. Yeah, that's that's so. Mark, Mark, I have to say that's that's quite an admission. You heard it here, folks, live wow. on on the show. Actually, excellent. So, what? And Mark, I was, was curious also. You know, the stuff that you do get access to. What's been the most sort of revelation in terms of like I didn't realise it could do that or sound that way. What's been the the most sort of the, of the stuff that you've obviously had been able to peruse around and mess about with? Um. Well, for I mean, it's kind of embarrassing, but. Uh, it's got to be the Moog Modular, because I had no Moog Modular experience up until my work at the Foundation. And we have a really fantastic, historically important Moog Modular um, in, in our archives. And being able to interact with it and mess around with it, I learned a lot of what I know about using Moog Modulars. And then I was able to carry that on to, like, for example, when we had Eric Norlander's Wall of Doom at NAM a couple of years ago. In fact, that you, Nick... Uh, oh, yes, we, we shot something shot. with you, didn't we? Yeah, that's right. And then, uh, like, this year, uh, we had Michael Boddicker's incredible modular that was used on, uh, you know, everything pretty much in the 70s and 80s that you hear from the radio at that point. And it was nice to be able to take the experience I had with our own personal modular, which we also showed at NAM, and then apply it to uh, like Michael Boddicker's modular because there's nothing like the stress of having Michael Boddicker standing next to you while you're using his synthesizer that he used on Michael Jackson recordings. And then like, you better know what you're doing. So I, I feel really lucky that I've had the Moog modular experience with um, our Moog modular. Um, which is actually a very early Moog modular uh, that was purchased by Art Hunkins at the University of North Carolina at Greensboro after he took a class, one of the few classes that Bob offered in 1965. So it's like this really cool historic modular that I've got to play that has really helped me. Excellent. That sounds like I must admit I've never had the opportunity to play with a Moog modular either, apart from one of the little uh, 3C cabinets. Um, which, of course, there will be reissues of those, but they're, they're cute. They look manageable, apart from those really dumb connectors, which I don't know why they put them on in the first place. They remind yeah, me of those those really, cram, uh, really crappy sort of um, speaker connectors you got on 1970s Binatone hi-fis. Just, I don't get it. I know they've got a name. You know what they are, Dave. Dave I seem to remember we talked about this before. Synth Jones. Synth Jones, are they? Yeah, yeah. just, why, oh, why? 
Anyway, <laughs> it's yeah. cra- crazy business, but um, that's great. So, um, what's what's next for you, Mark? In terms of um, you know the project that you're working. On? I mean, obviously, there's probably things you can't talk about, but what's the kind of in in focus for you at the moment? Um, in regard to the foundation, yeah. Um, currently, our biggest thing that we're working on is we're having this raffle, which everyone should enter because it's a raffle for a Liberation Kitar. Uh, which I'm going to be releasing demos. We've we've started releasing uh, little examples of it at the Bob Moog Foundation YouTube channel, uh, but it's been really fun learning about the liberation and this raffle. I mean, everyone should enter it because I mean, it's I, this sounds like a plug, but it, I guess it well, is it is fun. a plug. That's the that's the way it works. Here we go. I'm just going to switch to there. It is Vintage Moog Liberation Spring 2015 raffle. Mm. Oh wow, that's I, I now I remember this. This is one of the synthesizers that I just thought, you know what, I really that's the one I want. I think it was because of Gary Newman. And I think So yeah, they're really heavy, aren't they? But it actually if you look at it, it looks what? a bit like one of the the, the Moog in the kind of realistic phase. Actually, yeah, well, first of all, let me address the weight thing. At tops, they're fourteen pounds. I mean they are really considerably lighter than you think. And uh, yeah, we have uh, we have some footage we're going to release of a, of this uh, liberation being played by Mary Francis of a band called uh, Yo Mama's Big Fat Booty Band. If you've never heard of them, they're extremely funky, fantastic. But we have all this footage of this you know relatively petite girl toting this thing around and jamming on it. They are not heavy. 14 pounds. You could do it. I believe in you. Um, <laughs> but what, what was, what was your question? Oh, it was, it, it has a look of it about um, in the sort of realistic period, you oh. know, the radio shack kind of period, that sort of look to it. Is it, was it built around well, the same time as some of that stuff? I guess maybe. Yeah, there's this, this is more of the archeology, span uh, about it because you know I looked at it you know in a lot of places you'll read on the internet it's like very similar to the prodigy but it's really not similar to the prodigy it basically is an mg1 uh, it has all of the same functionality of the mg1 and then it has aftertouch which it calls force and then it's got all these cool ways to use the aftertouch uh, for example, you can use it to control the uh, the pitch of the second oscillator so like when you do sync on the MG1, you're just pretty much turning the pitch knob to get the sync effect. Uh, on this, because it has this aftertouch, like you could create your own sync envelope with the pressure of your fingers. And uh, it makes it super powerful. But then I was like, I heard these stories uh, online about how the MG1 came about. And I was like, well, wait a minute. The MG1 came out after the liberation so how did that whole thing work because i thought you know the mg1 came out first but no this was a synthesizer being worked on by moog which we have schematics for uh and they called it the moog ssk and yeah. i haven't been able to find out what ssk stands for yet but uh, okay. uh, i'll keep you updated right cool so well, is this also paraphonic then is the liberation also paraphonic the liberation is paraphonic, and no one ever talks about that either. It's it's uh, polyphonic, all going through a single filter and envelope and amp. But yeah, I mean, if you you know, it's like any paraphonic synth. If you do a little bit of work, you can make it sound perfectly like 
a decent synthesizer, a po- decent polyphonic synthesizer. How, how many so, notes? Yeah, so how many notes are polyphonic? It's divide down, so it's all of them. Oh wow! Okay, interesting. I didn't know that at all. So it's fully polyphonic, right? Yes. Interesting. Hmm. Rich, you ever you ever lugged a liberation around your neck back in the day? One time. Okay. At EU Wurlitzer in Boston. One time. And yes, it was heavy. But it wasn't that heavy. It wasn't as heavy as the electric piano I had worn years before around my neck. So in that sense, no, it's not heavy at all. That sounds like but a punishment, Rich. All at the time, it felt heavier than I had hoped it would be. But nevertheless, it was fun. And uh, and the mo- I remember the realistic synthesizer like it was yesterday. I understand. I first saw Dr. Moog speak in 1975 at Cornell University and uh, got a feel for the person because I was in a room with 20 other oddly interested people because today it's not so odd. But then it was oddly interested people who wanted to know everything they could about this amazing guy who had built these great instruments. And uh, had a, a lot of early experiences with a lot of early Moog keyboards. Used to play Mini Moog number 89 on gigs. Uh, studied oh, Sub 100. That's pretty cool. S- wow. Studied at Cornell where they had modular number three. Uh, attended my friend's uh, class at uh, Albany, uh, SUNY at Albany, which had like, f- I think it was four refrigerator-sized racks of modules next to each other. Um, and this was all really early for me. So I quite I quite easily remember the appearance of all of these various stages of gear that are now looked back upon so fondly. And uh, I remember the impressions we had of them at the time, and I re-examine all of that as I see all the attention and affection that's brought to them now. But I certainly do enjoy, first of all, and admire Mark's work with the foundation and the foundation in general. And uh, the brief time I spent with Michelle uh, last year when we were in Asheville playing was fantastic. And uh, really, really admire the educational work you're doing there, Mark, and uh, think really highly of it. Um, Thank you. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, man. And, uh, And yeah, these synthesizer toys are cool, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. What, so, what was was the MG one paraphonic as well? Yes. Oh, I know. I did not know that. But I'm just like to say, bringing it back to a more sort of base level, we're talking about uh, Technorotica and a strap-on keyboard. I mean, there's two two key two keywords for you right there in the YouTube video. I think I might have to use them in this <laughs> show as well. But first, I think it's probably time you want to take a little break. I'm going to say, uh, have a word from our sponsors. Time that we uh, tell you the results of the competition from the uh, from Iris, and also a word from the sponsor. So first, a word from our sponsor. And when I press this button, sometimes there's a lag, but usually not this long. There we go, of course. Isotope Iris 2, 11 gigabyte sample library. Get started quickly with hundreds of patches because it comes with everything. These used to be just sound packs before, but now they all come as you want. You've got lots and lots and lots of oscillator WAVs, a, a massive amount of uh, modulation, intuitive spectral selection tools, as we uh, have seen with uh, Isotope Iris and also uh, the other Isotope technology. Uh, Multi mode master filter, which takes attractive synthesis. Uh, 17 models of classic analog filters uh, five envelopes five LFOs macro controls the ability you see there in some of these uh, shots if you're watching the video version that the indications of what's been happening modulation up to four sample slots and here a lot of these things actually sound pretty impressive there's kind of uh, because we've got effects as well you can 
see the visualizations of the modulators and filters uh, for every modulated parameter, and you've got intelligent zero crossing and loop sample selection seamlessly using their intelligent zero crossing. To get your copy, you can go to isotope.com forward slash iris, uh, where you can get a 10-day free download demo which will work so i want to say thank you very much to them and also uh we have a winner uh, for last time we ran the competition uh the winner is uh, the competition you have to run on twitter uh, we did do one on facebook this week just because there was no show we felt a little guilty about not having a the winner this week is someone called lompy boy uh, which is l-o-m-p-e-b-o-y at Lompy Boy, and he tweeted the hashtag Lasso Your Sound to at Sonic State and Isotope Sync uh, uh, and added the comment, Synths are still cool, uh, which is fine. Thank you very much. Anyway, so get in touch. Uh, if you get in touch with us, then the Isotope Fairy will bestow Iris 2 upon you. But we also have uh, another competition for this week, and this is the hashtag. Basically, on uh, if you go onto Twitter, you need to put the hashtag Sound Painting one word and send that to at Sonic State and at Isotopic if you mention those we'll pick that up and we'll randomly pick a winner from the uh, the entries uh, via the uh, uh, random.org we use for generating a random number and then we count up the number of numbers and you know it's all, all very straightforward if you see what I mean so remember you want to win Isotope Iris 2 hashtag sound painting to at Sonic State and at Isotope Inc so good luck and uh, thank you very much for the show sponsors Nick, can I jump in here a moment? Yes, of course you can, um, Gaz. Fantastic, obviously, hearing about Bob Moog. But I noticed I did discover something that is a little bit of a... Um, well, I think something that needs to be addressed really, really soon is that the great David Cockerell doesn't have an entry on Wikipedia. You know, whoa. Now, David Cockerell someone I've just become aware of. And, wow, this man is really important. He's, he's in a teeny, teeny way, a little bit like... A British Bob Moog, in a way, just a, you know, but 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 he hasn't got a Wikipedia page. Wow, isn't that terrible? Tell me, I, I'm afraid I'm I'm going to have to say uh, plead ignorance on this one. Um, I, I'll put it down to my cold. I can't retrieve it. So tell us about <laughs> it, Gaz. Well, Dave, I'm sure would um, would be able to help elucidate here. He's the guy who did the actual designs of the EMS first, uh, the uh, ah, okay. and then the synth, the, you know, the actual engineer who kind of built these synths. He also went on to do loads of really cool electroharmonics pedals like the um, small stone. He did like a 16 second delay and a whole bunch of these cool ones. And then is recently, oh, well, Oh, I nearly missed something there. The Akai S900 <laughs> on the way, you know. Wow, okay, right. Well, fair uh, enough. And then onwards to um, to to doing a lot of recent electroharmonics pedals, which are just like the coolest pedals on the block. The hog and the pog and the ring thing and all, the uh, memory man with Hazarai, blah, blah, blah. So this dude, he's been described as just being this amazing, amazing genius who can program sort of the the um these incredible fft algorithms with tiny amount of processing and because i mean like those electroharmonics pedals are like fully fully polyphonic um you know uh you just, with just a mono input you know really clever stuff going on oh vocoder the ems vocoder Bloody hell. and yeah <laughs> okay I no think, Wikipedia. I think, no there's, Wikipedia. I think you've made a very good cause. I don't know how one goes about creating a Wikipedia entry for such a chat, but, I mean, it sounds like... I, I remember I've used the uh, EMS vocoder. I remember it's got a great knob that's called stuffing, which just <laughs> any synthesizer that has that on it is is all right in my books. And uh, it did sound... It's a lovely-sounding vocoder, but it's quite... Uh, <laughs> it was quite hard to use. 
Have you, have you used was, that? Have you familiar was, with that parameter, Rich? <laughs> no. Was there one next to it called gravy? No. There should be though, shouldn't there? There, there maybe there should. Cranberry um, sauce. Carrier. The no. pedal is called cranberry sauce. Excellent. <laughs> but I can't remember the exact model of the EMS. It came in like a rack, and I remember it was because uh, it was Will Gregory's, and he lent it to us, and I used it on. What did I use it on? I used it on. Crikey, I can't remember. I really can't they remember. Had AKS, they had an AKS at Cornell in the same room with that Moog modular. I oh, what, that Synthy, the full one? Yeah. Wow. Loved it. Loved it. Used that more than anything in the room. Loved it. That. Ran all of my friends. I would invite up all of I had keys to the building. I would invite people up at 2 in the morning and record them through the uh, Synthy. You know, Did you have the keys made. to the Synthy? Because quite often they had a cust- uh, an ignition key, didn't they? The one that we saw at uh, um, uh, 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 one place did. I don't recall having to use a key. In that was case. awesome. That was awesome. I remember because we saw one. It was when we just started doing video. I must try and dig the video out. We had a um, they the guys at I've, the synthesizer repair center. I forget where they were exactly. They'd restored it, and they brought it to the show. And it was, it was just. It was like the size of a kitchen. I mean, it was just crazy. It was absolutely enormous. Wow. Really beautiful. Well, the one I'm talking about, obviously, is the suitcase. Ah, the, what okay. they call it, suitcase model. The AKS Synthi uh, was touted originally as a portable synthesizer because you could basically close it up, carry it like a suitcase, and I'm pretty sure the first ad for the thing featured Ringo Starr as the uh, famous guy who was endorsing it, which <laughs> I think is pretty hilarious when you think about it technologically. But... Um, yeah, you st- it was very popular to process people through it back then because of the work of Brian Eno in Roxy Music and the work of this guy Jacques-Yves Labatt in Todd Rundgren's Utopia, who had the entire band running live through his EMS system. And if you listen to live tapes of the era, you can hear individual, like whole drum kits being filtered and processed through this guy's rig live on stage in 1972 or three. It's... <laughs> So um, there was a history to this, and I was interested in exploring it. Awesome, awesome. Um, right now, I've just I've just realised that um, I was going to go on to another bit of a topic, and I haven't quite got my my thing prepared yet. Um, let's uh, let's just see where we're going to go. Uh, I think um, uh, there we go. I've got that loaded up. Got a couple of things I'd like to cover. Um, first one, I think this is probably going to be right up your street, Mark. So let's start with that. This is a chap called Matt Miller, because uh, something I've been thinking about recently. You know, there's quite a lot of stomp pedals, and people are putting synth through them, and he's he's just working on getting them into Eurorack format and giving CV control to pedals that ordinarily didn't have them. And I think I think there's a market there, and I think there's more than just a market. I think it's a whole untapped world of fun that. Uh, could really work and I, I think this is just modulating the, the volume it, you can't really hear it all that well actually it does sound a lot better than this but i'm not doing it much justice with that so the notion of cv control i know that moog um had uh i can't remember the name of the pedal but it was like a the moog focus have cv input but they're they're fine and they are what they are but i'm thinking you know things like some of the boss pedals you know with a little bit of modulation on the delay you know uh, the Strymon Big Sky I know that uh, Dave you're a big fan of the Strymon stuff we should, I wonder if there's enough juice in a Eurorack to be able to power those DSPs does it take a lot of juice that Strymon pedal you've got yeah they use the entire sharp chip on it I think 
Which is a lot. That's yeah. a lot of gas. I wonder if it would need, if you'd be able to run it off Eurorack, or whether you'd have to have some sort of souped-up Eurorack thing. I don't know. That's an interesting... Mark, I mean, do you... You must kind of... Do you get people coming in, you know, just for your association with Moog, generally, kind of pitching you crazy-ass ideas like this? I've got this fantastic idea for such and such and such and such, and some, uh, pedals seem to be where it should be going. Pedals in racks. Um... I, I never have that happen, actually. No one ever pitches anything to me. But my brother is a guitarist, and he he really has gotten into that. Like, he uh, he did get a whole bunch of Mogerfogers, and he was really into the voltage-controlled aspect of it. And so, which surprised me, because, you know, we were growing up, it was all, like, Judas Priest and Iron Maiden and stuff. And now here's my brother, like, actually engaging in synthesis. You know, I can't even tell you the damage I went through in the 80s when it was all the synthesizer and my brother was a guitar player. And, you know, and I was all into the synthesizer. and There was all kinds of terrible torture that occurred. But anyway, uh, yeah, I think, I think guitarists might be ready for synthesis in this fashion. I think it's definitely. I know Gaz, you're uh, you've been kind of really digging on the uh, sorry, mod, uh, what's the name of the pedals that you Sonus Sonus, that's right, which have the yeah. ability to kind of get into that world. Though most of their stuff seems to be via MIDI, doesn't it, rather than via CV at this stage? Yeah, yeah, no CV at the moment. But I mean, uh, really, really very deep pedals that give uh, like almost synthesizer level of, you know. Uh, like LFOs and envelopes and various things, and but 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 with variable shapes to the envelopes, and you, know, you can get right in on those pedals on the Sonus. So that's the Sonus volume, which does kind of um, LFO volume effects, and the the Wahoo, which is a, a dual filter that can be configured in all kinds of interesting ways, and totally analog signal path. But with this modern idea. Well, I say modern idea. It's not a modern idea, but this modern uh, trend for digital controlled analog, which I still think is a phenomenally interesting area of of, of getting the best of both worlds. Um, so, yeah. So, but it is interesting because a lot of people with those particular pedals, because I've been really, um, you know, sort of big enthusiast of the Sonus pedals, a lot of guitarists, they do shy away from all that stuff. You know, those terms, you know, we need to kind of... We need to break them in gently. Break them down. (laughs) Break it down. (laughs) It's interesting, though. There has been another uh, development because, uh, as we saw, this song created digital music. We posted something as well, but uh, Peter Kern over at Create Digital Music got more information. This is the Pittsburgh Modular Stomp Box, which uh, is an interesting notion. This is the case, and I guess the the pedals can be configured to do various things. And... uh, that while that that looks like a great idea apart from the fact of maybe tripping over um <laughs> on stage maybe not maybe more for the studio i mean on, on stage i think that might be a little bit uh, impractical but it's a it's a great notion i don't know rich the the no, i mean do you yeah. do you use pedals and stuff in, in your kind of processing of things or is most of your you know in, most of your uh, recording going to be happening in the box or in the amp when you're working with guitars for instance yes to all of that okay <laughs> Yes, we use them. Not usually. Most, you know, but sometimes and occasionally in the box, sometimes before the box. Now, of course, obviously, but if you use it before the box, you're that's you're committed. And uh, people tend not to commit so easily these days to things. And uh, even when you're recording amps nowadays, you often record a direct signal off the guitar so you can reamp more easily. And, you know, there's so there's always 
signal splits going on. But yeah, uh, yeah, sure. Sometimes if it calls for it, it looks like it's a lot. It looks like a lot of fun. Yeah, it looks like a lot of fun. This thing, but I, I mean, I guess going to be very hard for anybody to recall. I mean, Gaz, you know, I know you're a big ex- proponent of. No, like that the mini setup. I mean, this kind of a would be a cool little mini modular, just the case itself. But I know how much you enjoy the uh, the the kind of portable aspect to your rig. You see a space for this? I'm guessing this is probably going to require some kind of major power input. I can't see what the power source is on this. There doesn't seem to be anything on the actual uh, in certainly there. So I don't know whether or not it requires an IEC socket, which is obviously not something you really want on the. Uh, Oh, look, there we go. It looks like there's maybe some kind of a... Ah, uh, there we go. Uh, what does that say? Let's see if I can zoom in on that. This is live friends. I feel like Deckard in uh, in Blade Runner. Enhance. That looks like that says 15 volts DC, but I can't quite make it out. I don't know mm-hmm. if anybody else knows about it. I don't know, Mark. I don't, Mark I, I'm guessing, Mark, anything that's got any kind of modular stuff on it, you're going to want to get involved in, right? <laughs> I yes, I mean I think it's fantastic. I can just imagining. I, I'm I'm trying to imagine a guitarist like kneeling on the stage patching. And it's like <laughs> yes, that's awesome. It uh, needs maybe it needs to be put on a on a stand or something. It looks a little bit impractical, perhaps. I don't know, Dave. What are you? Uh, sorry, Dave. That's you, Dave. You use a lot of pedals in your sit setup, and I've always thought whenever I hear a delay, if I could just modulate the delay time ever so slightly from a CV, please. That would be great, yeah. and I just don't understand because sometimes you know the new Boss uh, Wazacraft DM2 has a control input for delay time, but you can't put CV into it. It has to be an expression pedal, which seems kind of crazy. It's like oh, they were so close to that, but they didn't quite manage it. But it's an analog delay. Yeah, uh, yeah. No, this is interesting. It's this honestly, this could go one way or the other, couldn't it? Yeah. Most guitarists I know haven't got a clue what. A mains lead is, let alone a midi lead. They know what a jack jack lead is. So yeah, I don't know about um yeah, but giving a guitarist a modular setup, it could be a license for pain. Yeah. <laughs> well, or it's... it could be really exciting. I'm not sure really. I I know a couple of guitarists I'd like to sing this stuff in front of. Let's see how they get. See what happens. It looks. Well, I could certainly imagine that all manner of hell in a live situation. Yeah, I think marketing. It seems to make more sense to me in terms of marketing than, and sonically than actually the word using the word guitarist in the same sentence. Anyway, <laughs> that's interesting. It looks like you've got the ability to to have different switch patches, which is kind of cool. And there's something that uh, Rob, our one of our guitar reviewers, came down with, and he's got it's this little box. I forget the name of it, and it's basically an eight input, eight output matrix with very simple logic switching. So you could just kind of go right. This button will just open up these routings we'll switch that pedal that pedal that pedal on and it seems like you know if you can start combining these things together with the ability to then have pre-hardwired uh, re-normal modules that you could actually utilize this in many different ways not just for the guitarist just to use it for actually programmable patchability in some respects i mean i know we've seen that a little bit in modulars and i don't know how people feel about that from a purist sense whether perhaps it's uh, it's 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 not the done thing is it you, you, you said the word purist, and then you went straight to my, me. I don't well, it's just you haven't spoken for a little while, Mark. That's all. <laughs> no, I, I'm, yeah, I, I do suffer from terrible purisms. So some of these things for me are kind of like, well, you know. But I guess is what my response would be. 
Well, that's fair enough. <laughs> okay. <laughs> right. Uh, what, Gas, oh, what's that? Well, we were just talking about synthy things on pedals. This is Electroharmonics ring thing, which is like a ring modulator that's got a load of cool tricks up its sleeve. But the inputs, you can, um, you can modulate, you, you know, your sideband. Uh, well, Has it got a ring mod X and Y? Uh, I think it's only. Oh, I can't remember now. But um, but that's a David Cockrell design as well. So just it just linked things up. But that's quite cool because you can. I've been linking that having synth going into it and doing all um, having the the SQ1 essentially driving the modulator on here. Ah, so, okay. So why it can trigger that? It triggers the the, the cycle. Yeah. I'm not familiar with the pedal, I'm afraid. Yeah, it does. Yeah, so it can and it and it can it can just go very very strange places. <laughs> That's the thing with um, ring modulators; they certainly can. But there's yeah. always a sweet. There's often like a sweet spot in there that just well, kind this of. This one is cool though. You can press the tune on it, and it'll tune it to whatever note you're doing. So. Oh, so it becomes more musically kind of relevant. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's neat. Yeah, and you can keep your foot on it, and it'll constantly tune to you. So. Yeah, David Cockrell, see, just, just giving him Cockrell his juice. was a, he was a complete genius. Peter Zanoffier refers to him as the greatest music engineer that was ever, which I'm not sure whether that's entirely true, but what happened was Zanoffier used to have all these kind of crazy ideas and Cockrell used to literally go down to these kind of army surplus stores, you know, just after the war where there was all this mad gear and he'd just kind of buy all of these weird things and then kind of give Zanoffiev something, which obviously led to that, you know, huge EMS studio. So, yeah, him. But, I mean, you know, we were saying about that S900. That was Cockrell and Chris Hoggett. And I think Chris is one of the great British engineers as well. So, there you go. There's a bit of history there. Okay. Cool, yeah. <laughs> um, right, I've got something else here. I'm just trying to find it uh, briefly, which was a... Um, I'm pretty sure there was... Uh, ah, this is the HTML5 drum machine, and we'll see. This is which is a completely different area of. Uh, I mean, it just got me quite interested in. Uh, let me see, where is it? There, I think you can you can start playing. Let's see whether it'll work. I'll just check that out. Oh yeah, we've got an 808. I'm pretty sure I saw other models in here as well. Uh, what happens if I play that? There we go. I don't think it's got swing. But it's astonishing that basically, I mean, this is obviously a bunch of piece, uh, samples that are just being triggered. This is HTML5, and I think um, what's really cool about this, if I, if I remember correctly, you can export your pattern as a WAV file as well, which is, again, you know, this is a very different uh, sort of area of technology. And I know, Dave, you've got uh, an 808, but many people don't. It just seems like a really interesting notion that we could just kind of quickly throw down the take a notion of taking those some of those classic drum samples, which of course they're not going to capture the full majesty and timing of the particular drum machine, but certainly for maybe some things which are more sample based, it could be kind of an interesting idea. Be just be able to quickly dial it up, save out the patch, whack it into your production. Hey, what what could possibly go wrong? Yeah, nothing at all. <laughs> <laughs> No, it, it was, yeah. It's an impressive I mean, piece all... of programming. Yeah. I mean, we've seen them, haven't we? Have we seen them in Flash and stuff like yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. I think we've seen them Flash before. This is the first one. I... I... I, th I don't think anybody's particularly thrilled at this concept, but uh, I just wanted to throw it in there in case you haven't seen it. HTML5 drum machine. 
Com. I liked it. It Did took 15 minutes out of my day. Excellent. Want to hear? Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, that's enough. <laughs> anyway, there you go. Ah, cool. Did you find, <laughs> did you find Rich, that um, you did you bounce the WAV and then use the WAV, or is that just playing in your browser? That's just playing in my browser. I did actually bounce the WAV, but I've worked on it since then. Um, <laughs> but it's just... You know, cool. You know, it's like playing a computer game to me. It's fun. I haven't used the buttons in a while, and it's an interface that I know so unbelievably deep. It's like something that you don't get to. You know, you're you might have been the world's greatest unicyclist at one point, but you haven't climbed on one in a while. <laughs> That's what it felt like to me when I was running the thing. It's like I used to be really good with these things, and you know, but I don't tend to use them that much in that way anymore. I tend to work in other creative paradigms yeah i know what you're saying i know what you're saying so mark mark do you use the, the kind of tr interface i mean i'm guessing you know the, the the kind of classic analog drum machines i mean are you or when you because i noticed that most of the music that i hear on your videos tends to have a live kind of drum element are you would that be fair to say it is there was this thing and i think a lot of you guys will understand this you know there was that period where once samplers became affordable and powerful, I, I was just like, gosh, why would I ever use a drum machine again? And I've kind of like held that viewpoint. And so like I, I have this whole deal where I will even condemn the TRs because I'm like, oh, yeah, the old drum machines. Just sample it and use it. And people are like, oh, you, you can't say that. You are the guy who's against that. But I'm just I'm not a drum machine kind of guy although i do increasingly like uh here's a secret no one knows like i've been using core gadget for some of my drums like in demo videos and stuff because it's, it's really fun i mean it's it really it's sort of bringing my joy back to the drum machine uh because after the elisa's hr16 i was like i'm using samples and i've mostly used samples since then so like the idea for me of a software reproduction of a hardware drum machine within the context of a web browser. I'm just like too far removed. What would I Yeah, I'm that that's like a million miles away for me. Um, which is not a criticism, but you know. Yeah, no, I think it's me, about it's also to do with creative process as well to a degree, isn't it? And I think the web browser doesn't is not something that we yet at least um identify with creative process although having said that i'm using you know i use uh um, web-based image editors you know i no longer use photoshop for most of the stuff that i have to do on sonic i'm using you know the the, the kind of web-based stuff so it's starting to move in that direction so it's an interesting so how no about so how about rebirth then is that fun for you <laughs> i have <laughs> never used rebirth Oh, it's actually so much fun. Well, to me, you see, to me, they it's a simulated nostalgia, and I get to remember what it's like. Those are fun gadgets to me because they were fun. That's what you had at the time, and those were your options. So you learned them by necessity, and now it's like fun. I guess there's some aspect of Stockholm Syndrome in that. I'm not sure. But, um... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's interesting, though, isn't it? Because, I mean, the TR interface, the classic TR drum interface, 
is of anything is kind of probably one of the things, particularly if you, maybe if you ran this on a touchscreen where you could just go, bah, 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 you know, that would actually kind of make a lot of sense because it's, it, it is a one part at a time thing. So there's not really all that much limitations. In it. If you were trying to work on a much more deeper level, maybe on a synthesizer, which had lots of knobs or what have you, that might not be so cool. But I could see this perhaps working on a touchscreen. I think that would make sense, you know, because then I could just quickly just reach out and, and, and grab those knobs and, and do what I wanted to, wanted to do very quickly and I think that that's mm-hmm. where it could be interesting no which is why they're on iPads yeah. and stuff yeah I suppose so well yeah. HTML, which is why it's HTML5 so I mean that makes a lot of sense in many ways so yeah I could see I could see maybe that might work but maybe not on the desktop it makes less sense on the desktop perhaps mm. could you I didn't really check this out could can you program like and chain patterns and create songs and stuff? Uh, no, it it, it's pretty basic, but you can save them out. Uh, doesn't look like there's any swing on it either, as far as I could tell. Which is this? It's not on the original AI either. Is no, it? that's true. Um, and I, I mean, I have to say, even on the hardware, I hate. I mean, I love I love the eight hundred eight, but um, chaining stuff and creating songs is. Is pretty tedious. In fact, the only thing that's more tedious is that SDS six that I was showing you the other day when you were up. <laughs> Chaining a song together on that, it's just like I don't know, it's like programming in hex or some other shit. It's just horrible. <laughs> but, yeah. But when but the CR seventy eight you don't care because I don't even think it has a song mode. Just turn bits up and down, don't you? You just play no, the bottom over all day long. You've got that mad program pad, haven't you, on the on the seventy eight that you can never get in quantized kind of quite just in fact we bought <laughs> we bought a gizmo for ours, uh, which is amazing. It's like a hundred euros and you can actually program it in, choose to pick your quantize, program really? in the, into those four sections. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. It's a, like a Czech company. Uh, and what is that is that is that memory available in the original CR to, to be able to program into then? Yeah, yeah, there are oh, four wow programmable you know uh, wow. pattern patterns and uh, yeah because originally it was just this little boinky pad that you were kind of going uh go <laughs> never <laughs> ever ever in time we, anyway, that's now we love that we love that boinkiness we yeah love, absolutely we, i i would like just i would like to say i did just publish the roland jdxi and i'd like to just say a kind of there is i mean f- we forget the kind of not really very analog side of it um you know, but fair, fair enough for at least put, putting that in. The drum side of it is really, really good. You can layer up to four sounds from that. You know, I don't know how many voices it's got in it. You can fo- layer up to four sounds per drum and mix and match and what have you. And it, you can create some really interesting. And it's got a TR style uh, re- um, recording paradigm if you want to do it in step or you just play it in. And, and I have to say, for drums, it's almost, if it was, you know, maybe a tad cheaper, it would be worth buying just for drum machine capabilities because it's got a pattern sequencer in it that's really you know it doesn't do song chain mode i suppose but but you know at least you can trigger stuff out and i i'd say you know i found i although most of the stuff i programmed was very 90s kind of uh uh, uh soft focus uh, lounge music for some reason i don't know why that is that's not necessary maybe that's just it's taken me back to the sort of stuff i used to do on the d110 i'm not sure but I saw hey. that review. That was a good review. I thought, I thought I, it sounded it sounded like a good machine as well. I was kind of like, yeah, mm. yeah, I'm with that. You, you know, know what? If I was younger and didn't have tons of stuff. The, the, it's really funny because I, I posted um, um, 
Synthtopia posted it, and the, the comment stream on there is astonishing. There's just all this extrapolation from my whatever my. I'm sure you get the same thing, Mark, when you post videos. You know, people extrapolate all sorts of kind of hidden meaning or the fact that you kind of somehow in the pay of some mega corp. I mean, it's just absolute. Yeah. I mean, it's funny. You know, I don't. I don't kind of. I don't feel either way. I mean, but I did feel compelled to post something saying, "Look, guys, you know, it's it's a cheap synthesizer. I'm cheap in the UK sense of the word." That's not for everyone, but you get a heck of a lot of features for the money. And those supernatural voices are actually pretty cool. Three oscillators per voice with a, fil- a fil- different filter type on each one. For a synth that's like, th- well, it's going to be about 500 bucks. You know, that's pretty compelling reason to, you know, okay. But everybody hates mini keys and it's a Roland synth. What can you say? <laughs> What's your the best read? Oh, no. Maybe we shouldn't go in there. Okay. I, I had somebody who, uh, <laughs> uh, when I did that Chamberlain video, I just had this email that was just like absolute some guy going mental because I hadn't mentioned Todd Rundgren. Oh yes, I remember in it. <laughs> <laughs> and I just replied saying, "Dear Mrs. Rundgren, I'm really sorry to left. <laughs> <laughs> he was an early adopter, to be fair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it was completely my error, but it was like it was like sort of ten pages of kind of hate and angst. It's interesting. I just couldn't resist it. Out. Like, it, the temptation was just too much. <laughs> it is very interesting how that goes. I mean, you know, because um, Mark, you do a lot of videos. Your videos, I think, be fair to say. Uh, more about the functionality maybe let you know you're not trying to kind of review it because most of the stuff that you're dealing with is not necessarily new although i know you're waiting for the arp uh, odyssey to come did you get yours yet i'm actually be interested to think what, what you oh. make of it has it has it arrived that's where you're gonna go with this i see yeah <laughs> like doesn't everyone in england have one now no um i just talked to korg last night and i was like dudes and i have been assured that i'm going to be getting one but yeah i i do get the same thing people like people do say that i am in the pocket of the companies and that's why i say all the good things i do and i'm like well i mean i demonstrate everything i say right there so i can't really make it up and i can't make it better than it is because i'm actually doing it or worse than it is yeah right i mean very rarely am i like wow this part of this sucks um, because I only demo since that I'm really interested in. So I, I never, I, de- I pursue companies. And I'm like, hey, your synth this is super cool and I want to do it. And they go, okay. And then I do it because I like it. But I don't really demo synths that I don't like. So... Well, it's easier. Yeah, it's, it's harder to get a musical connection going with something that is just really crummy. I mean, this is the one thing that I was kind of pointing out as well. This is getting a little bit um, inside synth reviewers, which is a, basically a panel discussion consisting of two people <laughs> who do it <laughs> on video for YouTube. That's me and you, Mark, basically. Um, but, you know, it, it's... You, it's so easy with the sort of anonymity of the internet to kind of get all bitchy and horror about, about stuff. But if I've got something that comes in the door uh, that's been sent, perhaps, from whoever, and it really sucks, I'll say, I, I can't say enough good things about this thing. I don't think it's good. There's not going to be anything positive for me to say, you need to fix this stuff because it's not. It's no good, you know. And I try and turn it into a positive rather than me just kind of go, well, I haven't got anything good to say about it. Everything's rubbish about it. I don't know. Rich, you look like you were about to jump in there. Well, I was. Uh, some people embrace the crummy. Yeah, They're absolutely. Crummy. And furthermore, yesterday's crummy becomes today's romance. Yeah. 
So, and I've seen it happen a million times, and I could list them for you. People are paying ridiculous dollars for these things that I didn't want when they were released. So, you know, people and people get great results with things that I can't work with. So it, I don't think there's anything empirical about that crummy equals no creativity at the output thing. I don't, I don't know about no, that. No, I agree. I mean, I, I think problems there. But it's important to try. I mean, you know, whatever you're reviewing, you want to try and apply some sort of creative process to it. So it's like, oh, look, I did some cool stuff with this. Therefore, it's good for this. It might not be so good for that, but it does this okay. You know, that's the kind and of... And you'll make something that's completely unlike most of the rest of what you do because of the limitations of the... Yeah, yeah, I think that's true. That's fair that's, to say. That's quite cool, actually. Yeah. I like... But it's difficult. I know, Gaz, I mean, you've, you've done some reviews for us as well and, and found... You know, in a couple of instances where something you thought was going to be one way isn't quite what you expected. And then it's quite, I mean, as a reviewer, sometimes it's quite hard to figure out a, a path through a review because you've got to kind of try and make it cognitive and, and, and hang together. Otherwise, it's just a bunch of disparate statements, right? Yes. And, you know, but it is really important to flag the things that aren't right about something sure. and to do it in a way which isn't too condemning because that might. You know, I I got really weird ways I like to work, and when things don't, you know, <laughs> come to me, I can sometimes get a little bit down on it. But you know, but a lot of people won't work that way. I mean, Native Instruments Machine is the thing that straight away jumps to mind when you think about that. You, it's an incredible device. It does loads of things, but it's really doggedly avoids working in certain ways. And then, and kind of what I mean by that is a certain expectation that it'll be able to manipulate stuff like Ableton Live. Uh, yeah. I'll, I'll try and keep this concise. But so when you come onto it, because you know you, you might be familiar with things like Ableton Live, you go to work on it and it, oh, well, why can't it do this? Why can't it do this? Because it's not Ableton Live, you know? But people who haven't got the experience of Ableton Live come to it, they haven't got that kind of expectation from it. So from a reviewing point of view, it's just really important to, to flag these things so people are aware. Yeah. Yeah, of, no, I agree with where that. Where they are, and and what you may perceive as a criticism isn't necessarily a criticism. A criticism, you know, or, or sorry, it, what you might perceive as a fault isn't necessarily a fault of the product. It's just that it's not for Different. you. You know. Yeah, it, I would I would draw people's attention to the electron stuff, which I thought sounded absolutely amazing. Personally, I couldn't get on with the analog four because the screen is so small, I cannot see it. You know? Me too. So you know, <laughs> and I did say that, but. I, admittedly, I'm, I'm, screen. I'm older and, uh, and my eyesight is not as good as it was. But nonetheless, from a you know that means it's not going to work for everybody. So you know, I don't know. Speaking of small Pretty screens, so Nick, uh, you did you know um, just very very quickly we saw uh, that that Parva that we talked about is on uh, the Parva Polyphonic Synth is on Kickstarter yeah, at the moment. It and is. What's quite interesting about that is is that you can buy it with a single voice, or then you can buy it with as many voices as you want. So it's like $499 for the mono one and then $100 per card. Per voice. Oh, right, so you put yeah. cards in it. Okay, that's interesting. It's kind of like the mutable instruments yeah. kind of model, isn't it, where you can add up to six, is that right? With the, I forget the name of the... Is it Shruti, Sh Ambika? I can't remember. They've got uh, unusual um, Indian goddess mm -hmm. names from what I recall. <laughs> But uh, um, Well, uh, let's... While we're out on the subject, perhaps, of uh, Kickstarter... <laughs> Look at that. What a link, man. I should do this for a living. This is the um, uh, Artifom, which uh, has a very uh, brilliant... This, thing before. this is basically... 
Uh, that's just fine. It's basically, what I can tell, it's a guitar controller that they're touting as something that is not just a guitar controller. They've got a beautifully made uh, Kickstarter uh, video, which seems to be all the, the rage these days. And uh, it looks like, basically, you get those little buttons are the strings, so you strum them. And then the fretboard is the guitar side of it. I mean, I think they're kind of overplaying perhaps the fact that it's it's not a guitar, it's something else. It's drum pads, it's a keyboard, because obviously that is a kind of guitar-based interface. But what's amazing about this, really they've raised over a million bucks on Kickstarter, which is... I just can't quite get my head around this. I mean, that is just an astonishing amount of stuff for what is essentially a kind of weird... Well, in fact, what I thought it was... Let me just... Uh, I found a, a kind of comparison, and that is uh, this guy here. This is the... Uh, where is it? Photo enlargement. This is the Yamaha EZAG, which is kind of a very similar thing, except it actually has string strings and it has buttons on the on there. I mean, I'm sure you could probably use it, you know, if you connected it up to something else. Because this thing, the Artifon, is just a controller. But to me, it's mind blowing that they've they've done this. I wonder if it's I just I can't quite get my head around it. Has anyone kind of um, managed? I mean, no, Gaz, you're very keen on you know new groundbreaking sort of interfaces and what have you. What do you make of this? Well, I mean, the first thing it brings to mind, I think, is uh, it's like a kind of um, a watered-down Eigenheart for the masses, isn't it? You know, in in in, in some respects, you know. Wow. Um, <laughs> Maybe, yeah. Well, no, uh, yes and no. Perhaps. I mean, the, uh, I think the Eigenheart yeah. was had a bit more cre- uh, um, sensors and stuff on it. Hold on, I'm just going to bring yeah, the image watered, up. Hence watered yes, down. Yes, I but, You know, in terms of it being. Uh, a, you know, a device that you can apply very, you know, varying musical uh, expression on, you know, and holding it in certain ways and et cetera, et cetera. Uh, this one is clearly done well on Facebook because it just it's just very corporate. Everything about it, the video, the presentation, the look of it, you know, it's actually cute priced. kids, beautiful women. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Hipsters. And it's priced very reasonably. <laughs> And I think that they've managed to get the marketing right where it's gone to sort of, you know, not the sonic state kind of market. You know, they've gone into a, you know. It's a home entertainment market. It is kind of interesting. Sorry, Rich. I said a home entertainment market, which on some level makes sense for a device like that. That's a a polite way of saying it. For sales. I mean, it's like more like the home organ market than it is like the market that spawned the Moog modular, if if you know what I'm saying. So, uh, yeah. It, it is that. Um, and is it fun? Is it a fun toy for people is really what it boils down to. And does it fall within a reasonable price point for people who want a fun toy like that? What if I'm not a musician? There we go. Yes, you're, you're quite right there, Rick. It is, but it's an interesting notion that something, again, you know, something that is essentially like quite a specialised controller has reached, has broken out that sort of typical kind of ghetto of, you know, music technology that we generally inhabit. Um. But you need an iPad, by the looks of it, really, to get the most of it. I don't know what the MIDI connectivity is uh, exactly. Pretty much has everybody has something that's going to create some kind of sound. You could probably connect that thing to and make it work. Yeah, I'm sure you're probably Chances right. Chances are. I like Chances the idea are. of the strummable thing and the throwing the shapes. I mean, because I, I always fancy the idea of those easy, of the Yamaha Easy guitar, which I must say was quite bendy. You know, it's it's a, it's a lower. It's only a few hundred quid, but this uh, this thing is is a little bit more. Uh, in the same ballpark, but it looks like it's slightly better built, but even though it's shorter neck-wide. But again, it's on some level, and somebody pointed this out in the chat room, it's competing with the Lindstrom 
on some level, which is a much more expensive and probably much more advanced device that similarly you're touching an electronic surface to generate uh, various kinds of control data. Yeah, I think I think they're going for the all of those people like my daughter, you know, came home from school wanting a ukulele and now learns kind of loads of pop songs on the ukulele. And, you know, this is the sort of it's almost that kind of kind of thing. I, I know. Uh, Mark, you've but, got you've got. Uh, sorry, sorry Go Rich. Have no, no. Have at it, Mark. <laughs> it looks like a bit. I mean, anything that allows you to play things in a different way could be cool, right? I tend to, I mean, I love new controllers and no one ever thinks that because I speak out against controllers because, and this is probably an elitist thing that everyone will hate, but I really think for you to access the creative part of your brain, there needs to be some sort of learning and interface with the creative part of your brain. And when you create a device that anyone can play, it means that there isn't going to be any actual learning taking place with that interface in your brain. And so anything that anyone can play is basically kind of a toy. So I always encourage like the concept that like, yeah, this thing is not like, not everyone can play this, but if you really apply yourself, you probably can play it. So that sort of thing. And I don't know if that's the exact case with this instrument, but I mean, I'm, I struggle with guitar a lot. I really like it, but it's really hard for me. So when I work with a guitar, I come up with uh, ideas that I think are really creative that probably aren't. But uh, with this, I'm like, well, <laughs> guitars aren't easy to play. So I, I, I applaud that. But then I wonder if there aren't functions in it that like, okay, you don't have to learn or do anything. You just have to, you know, strum it and it'll make nice noises for you or something like that. Which I guess I that's be- going to, that was probably down to the software. I'd imagine that you stick on the other end of it. I mean, because as we know, you know, GarageBand allows you to have a, you can use the strumming action, but it'll f- stay, you know, on on message or in pitch or in the kind of tune, you know. So the, those sort of exa- I mean, I could see maybe if you partner this up with something like GarageBand, and I don't know whether or not the mid- it'd be interesting to know about the MIDI modes, whether or not it does, you know, channel per note and all of those kind of things. That so you could use it in a more advanced way. Because I mean, it's great that this is rate. I mean, they weren't only wanted to raise uh, seventy five thousand bucks only. I say so. You know, they've exceeded this by a, an enormous, you know, a factor of what. A thousand? Is that right? I mean, that's kind of that's kind of unheard of. So these guys must be. I mean, I guess, but I guess even with a startup, you know, that's that's got to build hardware and stuff, a million bucks isn't exactly, you know, isn't a lot of money. I mean, you could burn through mm-hmm. it pretty big if you've got a a, a a large media team and you know various people on the board and what have you. I don't know. A lot, a lot of people who shared it on my Facebook were not the sort of people who would typically be interested in that sort of thing. So maybe that's a key as well to its. Uh, I think Quite the key, I think well. the key was the the cute girl the little girl who was <laughs> who who was saying you know would you like to have one of these at school and like yeah it'd be awesome and she was just impossibly cute and fantastic to watch <laughs> her reaction to it but they've obviously very cleverly it's been very cleverly made the marketing hasn't it you know and that, and I think that's the key to a lot of these things it just feels like I feel like there's something something else that you know this feels yeah sinister dave it's maybe it's maybe it's my maybe i think you just you know it's my british my british cynicism but i i get cynical about things like this because when like i've seen so many of these kickstarter things where they've all got these glorious premises and there's beautiful shining light and they're all kind of hipster dudes and dudesses and stuff like that and i'm like why do you need the money shows how disconnected i am from real life if that's assuming that is real life because um, I like, you know, 
men in basements and sheds and stuff like that, beavering away, tinkering away and kind of forging paths and doing all this kind of stuff in dimly lit rooms with perhaps small windows. And it all seems so glamorous on Kickstarter. You know, I'd be more receptive to handing over money if somebody was on Kickstarter going, I really, really want to do this and I promise I'll work really, really hard at it and I'd really like an office with a window. And I'd be like, yeah, yeah, give them some money. Whereas this is all kind of like, everything's just so glam. I know what well, you're saying. I think that has to do with that. I think it's largely a marketing thing because basically everything these days is geared towards the average of people so that the most of them can sell. So when you have someone who's creating an instrument, okay, so like I have this stupid additive synthesizer idea. I yell at everyone no matter what. But the fact of the matter is the average person doesn't want an additive synthesizer and they wouldn't like what they'd have to go through to get one and it would be too expensive. So anybody with any sense marketing-wise would go, yeah, that's stupid. But the people who invent amazing musical instruments don't start from what's going to be marketable. They, they come up with a beautiful idea and they pursue it. And I have to say, like the Moog Modular was not a great idea. No one understood it. Who would ever make this? But Bob had to make it, and he did. And then, you know, what came from there came from there. And I think these days, a lot of these instruments that are being made, some marketing person is saying, everyone needs to be able to play this. And everyone in your marketing for it needs to be beautiful. They need to align with this sort of philosophy. And we need to make it so that anyone from any skill level to any skill level, because that's what will sell it. Yeah. And that's what I think is the sinister. <laughs> I suppose so. The sinister the aspect. Sinister aspect. You'd, yeah. th there, is, there, is a, there is one knows when one's being marketed to, I suppose, rather than natural rich. Sorry. But sales has always been this way. Yeah. Audio oh, yeah. has always been sold with music. Food, appli food creation appliances are always sold on the basis of the food that's going to come out of the thing. That's just, and, you know, the, little, the happy little girl in your living room playing away on the thing happily, you know, is just that's the, they're trying to work backwards from a perceived end result. And that's just how marketing yeah. is. Yeah, well, I guess so. Do you remember, like, at Christmas, all those games, like, when we were kids, like, we'd see all those games, like, Kaplunk and stuff like that, and you'd think, oh, that's amazing. This took me years to... Ricochet. By the way. Yeah, well, Ricochet was awesome, as was Crossfire. But, uh, Crossfire and uh, Battling Top. But let's not go there. The, the whole concept is like all the adverts would show like groups of kids having fun playing this game. And you'd think, subliminally, you would think, I want, if I, want I get that. that thing, I would have lots of friends. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, I suppose. Is, it was just you playing it on your own going, oh, it's really not that much fun, is it? It's re what's but really it's interesting about that is if you, if you take that concept to sort of modular, the very anti you know the more modular more you get into modular the less likely you are to have friends because you won't have any time for them you won't have any you know, you'll be obsessed sitting there in your room just kind of doing which is great and exploratory and that's a great thing to have but you need the other side of it i suppose the thing is that with something like this is it it, it it feels like there's probably a really great engineer in there somewhere who's hooked up with a really great conceptual marketing and whatever team and they've just gone right let's here we go you know, and and that, and I suppose in many ways that's kind of what you want. In many ways, if you come up with a great idea for, uh, say, an additive synth mark, and you met somebody like you know, I don't know who was able to take that and go, I know how to market this. I know how to make it into mold it into something that people will actually want. Then that would be great. I mean, it might not feel like it was so much your idea anymore, but it would probably end up end up there. You know, I suppose. 
<laughs> my name would but, be associated with it, and it wouldn't do what I wanted or liked, but at least it would be sold. <laughs> Which is, on some level, the legacy of Bob Moog realized. Oh, once totally, again. totally. <laughs> uh, because there came a point in the middle there, like around the time of the liberation, where uh, other people were making these scents under his name. Yeah, absolutely. Some very, very talented and wonderful people, by the way. Um, so I'm not trying to be... Yep. Well, it's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's the brand. The brand is very powerful in many people's, uh, you know, it's this sort of holy grail of stuff. This is getting a little bit off topic, I suppose, but you know, it's it's all interesting. But this this kind of looks. I think there was a topic in there somewhere. But if you want to check it out, uh, let me see. It's called the Artifon. That was that plastic thing that looks. Yeah, that's right. This thing. These are look. There are really happy people sitting on their massive sofa with an iPad, jamming along. Wow. You know what? This this is all a conspiracy. Beware, everyone. This is a conspiracy. This artifact, what it is, is it makes music so extremely accessible and easy to play, and all the family can have it. But the music you play is Muzak. And any (laughs) ideas that you're festering in your mind of eradicated just gets just eradicated (laughs) by this kind of happy Muzak family. No, you could be right. Do you think? Do you think there could be? You could get. I'm just gonna. I'm just in their place. I'm just gonna check actually to see if there's like a partridge family package on the, uh, (laughs) on the on the backers. If she comes with the instrument. Yeah, I don't know. That's an interesting point. But uh, yeah, it's. Why can't we do this? We we're all reasonably intelligent people. We could do this. Look, they got a million dollars. Yeah, but they are committing to make actually make. (laughs) Just get a load of hipsters. You need this card. This empty cardboard box. Like, just get the right hipsters. Nice if I buy this, if I buy this, will I be able to have a couch that big? Yeah, no, you it come. It, you certainly will. I think that's yeah, part of the. You're likely to have a couch that big, or be considering getting a couch that big if you buy this. Maybe from the sort of broader marketing reach of this. Anyway, I think we've been a little unkind, but it looks like kind of it's probably quite good. I'd just like to know a little bit more about how it works. But uh, yeah, it's, I think I think that the, perhaps the, the message here is, I don't know what it is. What we all, is it? Is it that we're perhaps so, also kind of like uncomfortable with things moving out? This is our thing, you know. Don't don't mm. we don't want other things polluting it. It's our <laughs> music thing. We don't want kind of you know the uh, the larger the wider audience up getting a piece of it and making it rubbish. Anyway, that's just a thing. I want Dave to narrate the sales video. Yeah. <laughs> if you could make it just like your Christmas video, Dave. Yeah, yeah. Which, yes. which oh, yeah, just miserable and, yes, bleak. Yeah. Oh, lost in a bit of bandwidth. In the bleak... Bleak, mid- but with nice chords. Hey, I've got one for you. In the, in the bleak <laughs> midi winter. Great sound. I'm here, I'm here all week. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're probably uh, this 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 uh, gathering is probably reaching its uh, its natural end. And I want going. Yeah, well, I, I I've got to go and uh, drain my nose, so I, I'm not sure that I want to do that live on live on, on the show. Hello. I'm starting to fill up. Since the decongestant I took just before, but I'll say thank you very much to everybody for joining us. It's been fantastic. And um, before we go, I just want to quickly remind you of uh, our sponsors, and then I'll say goodbye to everybody. Remember, if you want to win Isotope Iris Two, which is uh, available for uh, giveaway this week, um, hashtag 
sound painting, one word, at Sonic State, at Isotope, which means you will need to do it on Twitter, but it's uh, it's quite painless. And obviously, 140 characters available on a tweet. Put something else in there as well. We'd like to see it. We always enjoy your comments. Anyway, thank you very much for joining us, my panel. I'm going to start with uh, Mr. Rich Hilton over there, because I know the time's changed. Is it earlier or later for you there, or we caught up? I can't quite figure out. What time is it in the US where you are? It's 20 past noon right now. So ah, okay, so seven hours. It's resumed the normal five-hour time difference between where I am and where you are. Right. Rather than the four-hour time difference we had for the preceding month. Right, I got you. Yes, we're now in British summertime, and uh, the fair mm-hmm. is in town, so it must be summer or Easter anyway. <laughs> but, Rich, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, great. Uh, I hope uh, your, uh, uh, the, the, the single does well and the album is all going to work out. And Thank you very much for joining us. And remember, go and check out the Chic single and buy it. And get, Let's get it to number one on whatever chart it is that reflects that kind of stuff these days. I guess it's the iTunes chart, isn't it? But... Anyway, thank you, Rich. Great pleasure to have you aboard as well. And okay, we'll also get over to Dave Spears over there, G4 Software. Thank you, Dave, for joining us. Uh, I'm glad um, you are uh, back and also feeling a little bit better because I know you've had the cold as well. Thank you very much. Great fun. Good, uh, great. And also, Mr. Gaz Williams, thank you for joining us this week. Gaz, your, your video is looking awesome. Have you had your band, have you had your bandwidth seen too? You're looking very uh, high, high fidelity. <laughs> it's an illusion. Hey, um, uh, Roland Islandmark Ira Modular. <clears throat> uh, sorry, um, uh, Roland Ira Modular. Oh, yes, there was that whole thing, wasn't there? I, I would like to say before we go <laughs> that um, the, the photos that were posted on the Facebook group of some Roland stuff in a room with a load of modular things that you couldn't really tell what it was. I posted that and I put it as a story and I got contacted by the poor guy who'd accidentally posted them and he said, please, please, can you help me? I'm not supposed to post any photos from that particular event. Could you take them down? Which is why I took them down because it wasn't like I wasn't being leaned on by any corporate people. I took it down because he was really quite distressed and I didn't want to actually kind of, you know, I didn't want him to to get any worse. Anyway, I don't know, Rich. What are you saying? What What are you saying? Do you not believe that story? He seemed like pretty upset, to be perfectly honest. But <laughs> I don't know uh, either way what it signifies. But I could tell from the photos there wasn't really much you could see. Some people thought it was going to be, and I, I can't remember. There's a there's another synth that I think Aunt Roland Ira distributing that has also got green bits on it, and people were thinking it was just that. So. There you go, Gaz. I hope that's... <laughs> One <laughs> last thing. One last thing, because it is time dependent. Some people have been asking, what's, what's the latest thing I've bought? Well, this is something that's worth knowing about. IKEA are selling off these, these like, foot shelves. I think it's the Linden or... The, or oh, I can't remember what it's called. But look, um, here... Oh, let me flip my camera. Uh-huh. I've got... the. Strike fet to be returned. Look, these are foot. These are these are like um, they're for shoes. Ah, oh, see, but they they're perfect for synthesizers. Yeah, they're really good for like little gadgety sort of synths, which <clears throat> I'm partial to. It really. Wow. <laughs> they're really helpful because you just put them on a keyboard stand. Oh, hang on, I got to do this now, haven't I? Oh no, I'm gonna <laughs> shoe shelf. I'm gonna I'm searching while you're doing this, just so if you can. <laughs> ikea linden shoe yeah. shelf okay i see what you're doing yeah 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 that makes perfect sense and they do a special offer in the uk are they Hold on. <laughs> they're selling them off they're four quid each <laughs> shoe shelf 
Oh, I don't... Oh. S- no. Uh, is it a compliment, shoe shelf? Nope. That's not it. <laughs> Damn. This live... Um, this live thing isn't working quite well, quite working out quite so well on the IKEA thing. But thanks for the tip, no, guys. It's just that I mean, it, it it was just I thought it was such a cool little way of dealing with a perennial problem of small modular or yeah, small gadgety modular. things on a shelf. Absolutely, I'm trying to find the, the URL. I'm sorry, maybe Gaz can find it. I would like okay. to say though, Solman, with Solman. Uh, with it being bank holiday, if you've ever been to IKEA on a bank holiday weekend. You know, it, it's probably worth paying ten times more than actually having <laughs> to go to IKEA on a bank holiday weekend. But you know, I th- what's it called, Colden? Let's see if we can find it. Stolman. Stolman. They've got some great names. They've usually got sort of. They're almost slightly rude, but this one isn't. Stolman. No, I can't. It's like a two ends. It's like a modular system. You can make these wardrobes with these poles, and you put these shoe racks on there. But you can make a whole uh, kind not, of... It's not showing up for me, Gaz. I'm sorry. I can't oh, find I, it. I, I, How do you spell it? it? This is thrilling. Stoll. <laughs> S-T-O-L-M-E-N. Oh, okay. That's probably what it is. You guys are in uh, shelf uh, heaven. Right. I, well, you know, storage, luggage, both things that I enjoy very well. Okay, I found them. Here we go. Stolman. <laughs> there's an entire... Oh, there's so many of them. Stolman shelf. 15 bucks. 15... Oh, this is... I'm in IKEA US. I don't know why that is. Anyway, you can get you can get like a whole you can get these poles. <laughs> That's about like four quid and you can make a custom studio for synths with them. And they Excellent. were like, yeah, I was still, I was blown away by how cool they worked. And you live yeah. just around the corner from IKEA, so you can just keep going down and getting another one and getting another one and getting another one. <laughs> Actually, anyway, I'm going to say goodbye to Mark now, Mark Doty. It's been a pleasure having you aboard. Thank you very much for joining us. I would love to have you on again if you are available. I know this is in the middle of your working day, but, um, you know. I'm I'm sure something could be figured out. Thank you for having me, Nick. I don't know if many of you know this, but I pretty much got... Nick kind of gave me my start way back when I was uh, just a guy who talked loudly about stuff on the internet. And uh, so it's it's nice to be back and be, be here. And it's also nice to meet all of you in person. I know I'm Facebook friends with all of you guys and have talked to you on various levels. Uh, newly Gaz, it was nice to meet you. And thank you very much for the kind words that you have had about me. But it was great to like actually talk to you guys in a social situation that wasn't Text. Excellent. Well, you can't be face to face, even if it's kind of virtual, and that's that's part of the fun of this whole thing. You never know where it's going to go, or where it's been, or where it's going to head up. But uh, just before we go, Bob Moog, uh, the MoogFoundation.org is probably where you want to go. For some reason, I've got Bob Moog Foundation, but MoogFoundation.org is is kind of will work so do go and check it out anyway that's pretty much it for this week thank you very much everybody for watching thanks to our show sponsors uh we will be back next week where we'll have a pre-music messer uh kind of conflab uh then there will be no show on the week of music messer though i'm recording an interview uh tomorrow with the guys from isotonic studios uh, who build a load of Macs for live devices and stuff, so that should be interesting. Anyway, that's it for now. I'm going to fade to black and stop recording. See you later.